Freedom Man, that's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Today is Tuesday, May 4th, 2010. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio, and this is the show where we discuss human consciousness and how consciousness relates to the self-inflicted problems that humanity faces as a species. That's what we do on this show. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. The network website is revolutionbroadcasting.com. The show is live every Tuesday evening from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can catch that on my website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network splits the show over two hours on Tuesday and Thursday night, and they play that the first hour, 8 to 9 on Tuesday night, and the second hour, 8 to 9 p.m., Eastern Time on Thursday evening. So let me give the call-in number. Call-in number if anybody out there wants to call in and chime in on the topics that I'm going to discuss this evening is 347-884-9417. That's 347-884-9417. So please uh, hold on the line when you call in. I may not immediately see the call on the switchboard, so give me a minute to get to it. If I'm in the middle of of expanding on a topic or an idea, I may not get to you right away, but I will get to your call, so just hold on the line. Um, Usually if there is a pending um, important event in this area, I'm from Philadelphia, I will read an event announcement to start the show. And I'm going to do that now, and I'm going to do this uh, every hour of the show until this event passes, because I think it is one of the most important conferences uh, on the East Coast, and I'm hoping to garner a lot of attention for it and support for it and get as many people out to this event as possible, because it cannot be understated how critical the energy paradigm is 
to controlling people on this planet. The current immoral energy paradigm that we have, our dependency on oil in general, is a system of control. That's essentially what it is. And human imagination and innovation is essentially being stifled through the continuation of this energy paradigm and through the uh, uh, reliance and dependence upon it. So the event that I'm talking about is going to be coming up in July, this summer in Philadelphia. It's called the Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebrations 2010. For those who don't know who Tesla was, really it is essential to research this gentleman's brilliance, his genius, his work, what he has already done in the service of humanity. The, 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 the lifestyle that we live would not even be remotely possible uh, were it not for Tesla's alternating current system and uh, how it brings uh, power into our homes for us to do all the things that we do with our electronic uh, devices and the improvement that that brings to our way of living. So Tesla was pretty much stopped in his plans to even expand upon his innovations because he had a system in the works which would have been able to bring free wireless electricity to the world. And the financial interests of his day essentially squashed those dreams. And we're still stuck in an oil-based uh, paradigm and in a um, very controlled paradigm when it comes to energy production and distribution. So to continue with the event announcement, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, July 9th, 10th, and 11th. The Tesla Science Foundation brings together scientists, inventors, and enthusiasts for a three-day conference highlighting the need for a new energy paradigm. This July in Philadelphia, the Tesla Science Foundation will be hosting a three-day conference and celebration to commemorate Nikola Tesla's legacy and world vision. Tesla was a brilliant inventor who lived during the turn of the 20th century. His innovations resulted in the implementation of alternating current, the AC motor, wireless technology, and many other influential inventions that we now take for granted in the modern age. Tesla's vision to bring clean, free energy to the world through advanced wireless technologies was blocked by the financial and corporate interests of his time. Through this event, the Tesla Science Foundation will bring together like-minded scientists, inventors, and enthusiasts who share the common goal of bringing Tesla's advanced energy technologies to fruition for the betterment of humanity. The schedule of events is as follows. On July 9th, from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., there is going to be a Tesla birthday bash, a big birthday celebration. Tesla was born on midnight between July 9th and 10th. And that, this celebration is going to be on the lawn at the Independence Visitor Center. That's at 6th and Market Streets in Philadelphia, starting at 10 p.m. They're going to have, I believe, a, a Tesla coil uh, several Tesla coils out there, and they're going to do, uh, at midnight, they're going to have uh, 
a, a variation on fireworks Tesla style. They're going to fire off all these Tesla coils. Now, the next day is there are several events going on on July 10th at different locations in the city. And it is billed as um, levels of involvement for all levels of interest. That's why they're having different events at different locations pretty much simultaneously because the event is for just the general public to become more aware of Tesla through information and, uh, and some fun activities. It's for enthusiasts who have already started looking into alternative energy and why this is so important. And it's for scientists and inventors to actually bring together innovative minds to start working on this new uh, energy paradigm uh, in the service of a better human future. So July 10th is, is a packed day. Uh, there is a small change from the uh, event schedule as I read it in previous weeks, uh, and I'll do that one first. July 10th, from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., pretty much the whole day, uh, they have a, the, the same lawn uh, at the Independence Visitor Center, right in Independence Mall National Park. And there's going to be exhibits, information, and, and music. And that's all, that's at Sixth and Market Street. So the whole day, that's just a general outreach to the public. There'll be tables, booths, you know, some people are displaying some inventions. And uh, you can pick up general information there, and there'll be some music. It'll be like a fair, sort of. Okay, so that's the first event on July 10th. The second event is at the Free Library of Philadelphia at 1901 Vine Street, 19th and Vine. That's from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and that is presentations and lectures for the enthusiast. They're, they're not going to be very technically inclined. They'll be able to be understood by the layman. And uh, I have the privilege of emceeing this event myself. I will be the MC for the event at the Free Library. I've been working with uh, the Tesla Science Foundation, and they're a great group of people. And uh, it's, a, it's a, an honor to have been asked uh, to emcee this event myself. Also on July 10th, from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m., that's after the presentations at the library, there is a reception dinner and a concert featuring the great um, a theremin ensemble, a theremin-centered ensemble uh, playing classical music. They're called the Divine Hand Ensemble. Their website is divinehand.net, and uh, everybody really check out this band, uh, this, this orchestra, they are phenomenal. And the theremin instrument is just an incredible uh, piece of technology and the tones that it produces are magnificent. So that's gonna be a great show. Now that's gonna take place at the Arch Street Meeting House, the Arch Street Meeting House. That's at 302 Arch Street in Philadelphia. Finally, on July 10th, uh, this is another overlapping event in the morning again from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. There is a scientific conference, and this is a two-day event. This will actually be on July 10th and 11th, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. each day, the scientific portion of the conference uh, geared toward scientists and inventors. This will be taking place at 2 Liberty Place, on the 32nd floor of the building, and to Liberty Place is at 1601 Chestnut Street in Philadelphia, 16th and Chestnut. 
For emerging details, please see the conference website at www.teslasciencefoundation.org. Learn more about Nikola Tesla, what he tried to do for us, why he was stopped from that, and why it needs to happen 100 years ago, let alone today. It should have occurred 100, over 100 years ago. We need to, uh, to, to make this vision for the way power can be produced and distributed become a reality. So that's all I have to say about that. Um, the show tonight, what I have in store for tonight is to recap a little bit, uh, specifically recap on the concepts I spoke about last show, which were magic and sorcery, and how these events hold influence in our lives, how these, he, these concepts hold influence in our lives. I want to specifically address the concepts of magic and sorcery as they relate to the concepts of order and chaos and the events that we see experience that we experience in the world around us as a result of these forms of influence. So I'm going to recap there a little bit, but the bulk of what I want to get into tonight is the beginning of breaking down the idea of the barriers to consciousness the barriers to self-realization. What do we really have to overcome within us in order to understand who we truly are, what our purpose here is, what's really taking place around us and within us. So there are specific barriers that are in place that prevent that awakening that realization from happening. And I want to begin to delve into those, list what they are, and begin to break them down. So as I've stated already, what we really do here on this show is delve into the causal factors. A lot of people in the freedom movement who are attempting to expose the political machinations that are taking place in the world who are attempting to look at events. And, and that's important. That should be done. That needs to be done. But you have very few people really getting down to the very root of the problem. To look at the causal factors of why what we are experiencing is happening. That's the whole goal here. Because if we're not in a position to understand address, and then move toward correcting the things that are actually responsible for creating the problems that we experience, we're powerless to solve them. So ultimately, everything that I talk about on this program is geared toward solutions to the problems, not just discussing the problem or, as some people have said, describing the prison describing the cell. You can describe the prison forever, but until you understand how to unlock the door to the cage that we're all in and walk out of it, that isn't going to happen. So that's ultimately what this show is all about. And as we've said in previous shows, what the base causal factor is, what it has to do with, 
is the ability to tell truth from falsehood. And that will immediately put some people off because there are many people in this world that do not accept or believe that there is, a, there is such a thing as truth. They don't believe that there is any such notion. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit on the show today because this is the ideology of how we are fooled. Why we suffer ultimately is because we accept the biggest lie that can ever be sold to us by anyone and it is the biggest lie that humanity ever buys individually or as a species. And it is the very idea that there is no such thing as objective or moral truth. It is the ideology. I, I refuse to even call it a philosophy. It is the ideology known as solipsism. S-O-L-I-P-S-I-S-M. And I'm going to give a concrete example of this today. Uh, I'm actually going to kind of flatter somebody by reading uh, a post that they made to a Facebook uh, post that I had replied to. And uh, I'm going to display the raw ignorance of this ideology. Because until we decide to come out of this level of ego, of accepting an ideology such as solipsism, humanity is going to continue to suffer and suffer hard. And I can't really say that I have too much of a problem with that taking place. I, I, I'm kind of at peace with the fact that that's how it works. Because in, a, in many ways, I feel that's one of the only ways that people ever come out of that level of ego and self-destructive tendencies is when they suffer enough. I don't feel that it has to be that way. I simply feel that it is that way. That's what people choose for some reason because they're in such deep, deep attachment to erroneous ideas that are not based in reality whatsoever. They're not based in truth. They're not based in any kind of goodness. They're not based in any, any concept that is capable even capable of creating order in the world. And until we understand that and move to correct that by thinking differently, we're going to see the same problems recurring like an endless loop again and again and again and again and again. So I'll get into this a little bit as I go further into the recap of magic and sorcery. So in previous weeks we also discussed the aspects or the components, if you will, of human consciousness being our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions in the world. We discussed the human brain and how critical the understanding of the human brain is to understanding why certain behaviors manifest in the world. We broke down the components of the brain. We looked at their functions. You could, you could check all of this out in previous podcasts. This is also covered in my presentation on my website. I reworked the podcast page this week for my site. 
Uh, I'd be interested in hearing any thoughts on that, whether people like it, don't like it. Um, I, uh, I embedded the podcasts in the page so that they can be played immediately. They can also be downloaded still. And I put uh, up picture sections for each podcast with slides and quotes and things like that that you can click on and you could view a, a small photo gallery that basically gives a little bit of a visual representation for the concepts that were discussed on that particular show. That's in the podcasts section on my website at whatonearthishappening.com. Um, very quickly, before I continue the recap, I'll give the call-in number one more time. The call-in number for the show is 347-884-9417. We haven't had many calls in the last couple of weeks. That's fine. I have lots of material to go through and, and, and cover. But if anybody feels uh, the, the need to call in and discuss anything, there's no taboo topics here. You can talk about whatever you want. Uh, call in and just hold on the line. I will get to you. So uh, another topic that we explored pretty much in depth was the emotional polarities, the concept in general of polarity and the emotional polarities that create our reality. Those two polarities are forces, the force of love and the force of fear. Love being the force which expands human consciousness. It expands consciousness, period. And fear being the force which seeks to shut down consciousness. So love is the expansive force. Fear is a contractive force. And we looked at what manifestations both within us and in the external world that is a reflection of what is within us what these two seemingly polar forces create their manifestations so we saw that the inward internal manifestation of love is a state that I referred to as dominion self-ownership sovereignty true self-love true self-respect owning and being in charge of the kingdom of self, the only thing we're really allowed to control and be in charge of, our own thoughts, our own emotions, and our own actions in the world. That's it. When we truly own them, when we truly understand how they work to create our reality, that's the idea known as dominion or sovereignty, self-ownership, not being controlled from without. When fear manifests inwardly, this force creates internal confusion and internal opposition. The self, the house, the kingdom of self is divided in its own house. So we're torn within. We're torn apart from within. Fear creates internal confusion, internal opposition. We discussed this concept as the force known as Satan, which is a Hebrew word that means the opposer, the adversary, he who creates opposition and strife. It's a force. Okay? When love is present internally, it creates an external manifestation known as freedom. This is why freedom is under such attack because people aren't 
in mass holding this consciousness of love and self-ownership and rulership of the self, ownership over one's own mind, over one's own heart, and over one's own actions. It's slipping away from this world, slowly but surely, unless we decide to do something about it and reclaim our sovereignty, our self-ownership. So when fear goes to work in the external reality, when it's present within our minds and hearts, and it goes to work in the external reality, we experience control, externally imposed control, which ultimately leads to chaos, to suffering, to slavery. Any, everything that we refer to as evil or bad. Now, there, there were different worldviews that go along with this. We discuss them as a very left-brained worldview known as randomness and a very right-brained imbalanced worldview known as determinism. We broke those down on a previous show. And we, we talked about what those worldviews lead to. I referred to it as the schism of the mind and the schism of the worldview because these ideas, these left-brained imbalanced ideologies and these right-brained imbalanced ideologies, they lead to worldviews that impose nothing but more suffering. It's an endless cycle of suffering. And people refuse to accept, most people anyway, refuse to accept that there are alternatives to such worldviews. There is such a thing as moral truth. There is a way, a path, to come out of self-inflicted suffering. So one of these really seriously imbalanced worldviews that we discussed was the ideology known as solipsism, the idea that there is no truth, that there is no such thing as natural law principles, and that essentially perception is reality. Nothing could be further from truth or accuracy than this ideology. There's not much that really can be done to take people out of this ideology. Sadly, it seems there isn't much that will take someone out of that ideology other than them suffering so much through their clinging to an ideology such as this, that they finally break down and say the three magical words, the three words that begin all spiritual journeys. I was wrong. This was the path I had to take personally. I chose and took the left-hand path, the path of enormity of suffering until I got out of that worldview and mindset. And it took so much suffering for me that I was barely able to move. I was laying in a room in the dark, essentially doing nothing, 
That's the level of depression and suffering that I had to reach in my life in the past to come out of that poisonous worldview. And when I did, my life changed so fast it made my head spin for the better because I started getting in touch with what really is taking place within me and around me and accepting the realities that are taking place around me instead of pretending that they don't exist or that it's all just perception and that it can be ignored and that truth can be ignored and that morals can be ignored and that we could just make it up as we go along depending on our comfort levels and what we you know, think is good for us as opposed to what is good. And there's a big difference between those things. So I was in a conversation on Facebook and the person was discussing government. They were discussing control in the world, things like that. And I chimed in about the idea of that externally imposed control is going to be present with us here on the earth until we come out of the consciousness of separation, until we come out of the worldview that in order for anybody to essentially win or have comfort, that other people have to lose and suffer. Until we come out of the idea that it's okay for us to do immoral things to other people as long as we aren't suffering and we benefit from doing them, as long as we're in that mindset, not much is going to change around here. As a matter of fact, it's going to get a whole lot worse. And, you know, some people can, that you can look at that as saying it outright like that, as condescending to other people's way of seeing the world. You can, you can say that it's self-righteous. You can say whatever you want. I, in my life, have recognized these principles as being true, as being in effect, like the law of gravity. It doesn't matter whether you believe in it or not. It's in effect. That's what law is. That's what it means. It means it's a parameter that is in effect. It's a boundary condition. It cannot be broken, or it wouldn't be a law a true law. I'm not talking about the law of man here. I'm talking about cosmic law. And it exists. It's real. The reason we're in the mess that we're in as a species is because we refuse to acknowledge and understand and live within the parameters of the existence of natural law. And essentially, it is so easy. It can be stated in and has been stated by teachers in one sentence. The truth is always simple. It's never, ever complex. People try to make truth complex to obscure it and to obfuscate it, to create confusion and doubt within somebody's mind regarding natural law principles or truth. But the law that governs creation can be essentially be stated in one sentence. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. That's the golden rule. And that's it. It is that simple. And because we continuously break 
that one law, we're going to continue to suffer until we decide to come out of that level of consciousness. The end. Okay? It, it is that way. I'm not saying it's my belief that it is that way. What I'm telling people out there is if you don't want to continue to suffer, that's the path out of suffering in a nutshell. That's it. And it is that way. That is the truth. It is not a perception of reality. That is reality. I don't know how much clearer I can say that. I'm not telling you that that is my belief because it is not my belief. That is a law that is an effect that I happen to understand. That's it. So here is the reply that I received on Facebook from someone that I would say is a solipsist based upon his response. And I'll read just excerpts from this. This person said the golden rule is just an arbitrary assertion to try to prove some sort of moral truth. There is no ultimate moral truth. There are no laws of existence. Imagine that. Now, let me tell you the, uh, what this ideology, what this belief system, which is what this is, leads to. This belief system is known as solipsism, and it is also known as moral relativism, which I've brought up on previous shows. This creates the notion that man is the highest power in the universe. We get to make up our own truth. Essentially, we are the arbiters of truth. Or God. That's what this ideology is. If there are no laws that govern creation, if there is no such thing as morality in truth, there is no such thing as morality. It is just perceptions. Then we get to do essentially whatever we say is correct or, or right or moral. And we're the ones making up quote-unquote law. That's what law, man's law is based on this ideology. That's why it's such a disaster. Because we're not the authorities of anyone else. We are not the arbiters of truth. We are not the ones who define what morality is based on our perceptions and comfort level. Now, what he get, got right is, one of his next statements was, your perception of what morality is will always reflect what your culture has taught you. Now, that, that, is, that is a truism, okay? That is largely true. People's perceptions of what is right is, in the modern day, and has been in, in the past, 
largely determined by what those around them have taught them. That's what has largely determined what people think is right and think is wrong. And I'm not, what I'm talking about is not thinking or believing. I'm talking about knowing because one has directly experienced this law itself. And until one, it's like a child putting its hand on a hot stove. You can tell a, an individual forever, you can tell them, what the temperature is of something that they have not yet touched. They will never really know for certain until they experience the feeling of being burned or having something extremely hot or extremely cold pressed up against their skin. It will only be a belief or a, a perception, but it will not actually be truth to that person until they experience it firsthand. This is the idea known as gnosis. G-N-O-S-I-S. -S, gnosis. It means you know. It is knowledge that has been acquired from directly experiencing something. Not by reading about it. Not by thinking about it. Not by being told about it. But by experiencing it. And I guess if you haven't been through that experience of, of, of knowing what being burned is, what being fooled is, what understanding that natural law is by experiencing it. It is probably true that no one can really teach it to you. And if you're in the mindset that you don't want to know about it, that you don't want to learn about it, that you think it doesn't exist because you're comfortable believing that, more likely than not, a whole lot of suffering is coming your way until you do experience the result of not understanding natural law and you suffer enough to come out of that condition. And I, I kind of think more so than not, this is the place we've come to as a species. And I, I get that perception more and more in the movement of people who have studied this, who have recognized this, who have understood it. And there's a sort of desperation because they see how closed the minds of the individuals who are out there in our society and in the world are. They see how closed their minds are, how closed their hearts are, and how totally resistant they are to understanding how these principles work. And make no mistake about it, we're not getting out of this mess unless we understand how these principles work. That's the lesson, and that's the way out. There is no escape. I've said this many times before, and we'll say, that, say it many more times. There is no escape from the condition to which we have arrived. The way out is through. It is through the problem that we must go, through understanding of how we got to this place.
That's the way out of it. And that equates to understanding natural law principles and understanding that there is such a thing as right and wrong. And one of our jobs here is to understand what right and wrong are, what their qualities are, what their manifestations are, and to choose the higher moral ground over the low, easy ground. The higher moral road may be simple, but it isn't necessarily easy due to where we have come, through the degradation of human consciousness, through direct mind control over people, through media, through the kind of food that they're feeding into their body that could laughingly be called food, through the lies that have been propagated, through what we laughingly call education, and through the lies that are just spread by people who just don't know any better and then teach it to their young. Finally, this individual said, everyone living according to their own perception of what is moral without any sort of external control is a recipe for disaster. Well, you got the first part of it right, but you totally, totally missed it on the second part of what you said there. I never would advocate everyone living to their own perceptions of what is moral. I'm an advocate of everyone living according to what is moral. Big difference between those two states. The perception of what is moral can go as haywire as a Nazi during the Third Reich believing that what he was doing in the service of the Nazi regime was morally justified and correct. That would never make it so. See, there's a big difference between what people think is the right thing and what actually is within their rights to do. That's why it's called rights. That's why we have rights. Because to exercise rights is standing within moral right. You're not doing anything wrong when you exercise a right. It's right in the language, folks. This isn't hard to figure out. We have a right to do that which is morally right and nothing else. This is the, this is the notion that has been coined in occult, in occult philosophies as do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. This gets perverted. Okay? People don't understand that statement. That means you have no other right than to do what is within your moral right to do. It does not mean do whatever you want. Anybody that tells you that's what that statement means when they heard it have a complete lack of the understanding of the statement. Now, you can disagree with the person who said that, but if you understand the actual philosophy behind that statement, what it is saying is harm none, do what you will. As long as you are not doing anything that is with, outside of the boundaries of natural law rights, for you to do. That's what the will with a capital W 
as we talked about on the previous program, really is. I don't know if that's clear to people, the way I'm explaining it. If anyone wants further clarification, call in, ask. We could talk about it. But that's what that statement means. That's what the will is. It is doing that which is within our natural right to do and nothing else, nothing outside of those boundaries, not stepping on other people's natural rights. Once you do that, then you're not in the will with a capital W. You've dropped in consciousness and you're doing the personal egoic will. And this was the difference that we brought up last week when we discussed the concepts of magic and sorcery. It is critical to understand the concepts of natural law when we discuss magic and sorcery, what that entails. It is critical to understand the concept of will. The two forms of will, the higher will, which we basically as ascribed a capital W to, okay? like, like some people do with the higher self, giving it a capital S, okay? as opposed to a lowercase letter. Because the language that we speak limits us in many ways to talk about higher will versus egoic will. So I, in, in the way I explain it in my presentation and on this show, I distinguish with a capital letter. The capital W will is the will of creation and, and accordance with natural law, harmony with natural law principles that create order. The lowercase will, which is the will that the sorcerer, not the alchemist or the true magician, exercises. The sorcerer exercises the lowercase will. And this goes against natural law principles. This is for the selfish gains, the selfish tendencies of the practitioner of this influence, of this science and art called sorcery. This, this being who practices this art is saying, forget about the will of creation. Forget about natural law principles and other people's rights. Let my will be done. Because that's all I care about. So to go back a little bit to the statement that this gentleman made on Facebook in response to a post that I had commented on, his solution was external control. And he stated later on that he doesn't have a problem with government, externally imposed government. Doesn't have a problem with that. External control, that's his solution to the problem of everybody living according to their perceptions of what is moral and therefore creating a lot of chaos in the world, that we need external control to solve a chaotic problem. That's the very definition of sorcery, the very definition of it. And again, I've also described this with the metaphor of, I'm going to dry those wet clothes by pouring more and more water upon them. You wait and see. You wait and see. I'll get it done that way. Don't worry about it. It may take some time, 
but I'll take these buckets of water, I'll take this garden hose, I'll continue to put water on those clothes, and they'll get dry. Watch. You watch. That's exactly what this is. This person has zero, zero understanding of how natural law works. Zero. But in many ways, that can't be blamed on the person themselves. So many ignorant people come up into this society because they're taught in ignorance by those who are already ignorant. It's a self-propagating machine. That's what our reality has become, a self-propagating virus. The blind and the uneducated, the ignorant, teach the next generation of the blind and ignorant. And it's a sad, sad, sad thing. And, and once again, at, at the risk of sounding condescending, I'm not here to make friends with people. I'm not here not to offend anybody's sensibilities. Okay? I'm here to explain why we're in the mess we're in. That's what my job is. And I, ha I do happen to understand how that works. I, that's not an egoic statement. That's not me bragging. There are many people throughout history who have understood how this works. Some far, far more intelligent and far better human beings than myself. Okay? I'm not saying I know it all. I'm not saying that I'm perfect in any way. Because believe me, that's far from the truth. Okay? What I am saying is I understand the general principles of how we got into the mess that we're in as a species. And I do understand what it will take to get us out of them. Whether people will follow up on that, that's, I don't really have control over that. That is up to each individual to, to learn about how this works and to decide whether they want to come out of that state or not. And if they desire to do that, it will happen. They will be able to understand the same things that I and many people who have studied this have come to understand, and if they use their willpower to do so, they can get themselves out of that state of consciousness and become part of the true solution to the state of consciousness of the whole. Because that's how the whole changes. The whole changes. The totality changes when the individual units that comprise the whole change. That's it. We want to change the external reality. We've got to change ourselves. We have to change the way we think. We have to change the way we behave. That's it. It's that simple. Easy? No. Simple? Yes. No one's claiming this to be easy. I had to say the words I was wrong so many thousands of times that I could, and I will say them so many thousands more. Okay? But most people are trapped in the state where they refuse to say those words. They refuse to admit that to the universe, that they bought a lie, they propagate a lie. Disharmony with natural law 
comes through this level of ignorance. And all it creates in the world is chaos. That's critical to understand. This is what the sorcerer wants. Sorcerers, controllers, who have a lot of knowledge about how things really work, and all they want to do is use that for advantage over their fellow human beings to gain benefit, uh, to, to benefit over them, to, to uh, get, get personal gain and advantage over their fellow beings because of what they know and understand. They know the, that this law exists. They're well aware of it. And they bend it. They don't break it, but they bend it because if you're in a position where you understand that and you can control information and you can hide how these principles work, you can get people to obey you, do your bidding, and believe in whatever nonsense and illusion you peddle. And they're very, very, the sorcerers of this world are very, very, very adept at doing that. They understand how this works, and they're very good at obfuscating it and teaching people garbage so that they never understand how it works. And as long as people don't understand how these principles work, they will always be ruled by people who do and who want to use that knowledge to rule other people. See, there are many people who do understand how these principles work, and all they want to do with them is to propagate them to other people so that other people stop creating their own self-inflicted suffering. And so on a mass scale, they stop creating hell on earth. Because we're far on the way to that creation. We're far on the way, well on our way to creating a total hell on this planet. And we're in a unique opportunity where these principles are being openly discussed and shared in a myriad of ways. There's such a plethora of information out there on these principles. There is so, such a wealth of information and information flow. We live in a unique time in history where natural law can really be grasped and understood by anyone. The information is out there. If we choose to reach out and grab it, we choose to pay attention to the right sources of information, to the right sources of information, meaning morally right, and meaning correct, to understand the dynamic and can explain it correctly. This exists. It exists. People may not want to hear that, and that's okay. That's okay. okay. But there is no question. Truth exists. Natural law principles exist. Morality exists. There is such a thing. It is knowable. All of these things are knowable. What ego, what deep-seated ego is, is the refusal to accept any of those things that I just stated. The refusal to accept them. That is the satanic force at work in the world. You can call it whatever you want, but it is the force that divides you within 
and it divides people from each other, prevents them from ever coming together and being able to live in social harmony. And this force has people. It owns people. It owns their minds. It owns their minds. Because they've been peddled sewage by the sorcerers of this place. Sewage. And here's the other concept that rolls along with this as I wrap up talking a little bit about sorcery. Magic and sorcery. See, the, the magician wants to bring people together, the true alchemist, to elevate consciousness, to help people understand natural law so that they can put an end to their self-inflicted suffering through ignorance and through ego, attachment to wrong ideas that they're just, they can't admit that they're wrong ideas. They'd rather go to the grave. They'd rather die than admit that they were wrong. That's how deep of an ego hold this satanic illusory force has over the minds of people of this world. They would rather kill themselves and others around them rather than admit, I've bought a bad ideology. I've bought a bad notion, a bad idea. Can't admit that. See, belief is one of the strongest forces in the world. Not gnosis, but belief. People so desperately want to cling on to their beliefs because it's all they know. It's all they know. And to take that away from them is to take away their self-identity. And we're going to talk about, in the second hour, the barriers to realizing the true self-identity, not the illusory one, based on ego and based on attachment to ideas that are simply morally incorrect and not based on any kind of truth, moral or otherwise. They're just wrong ideas. One of the biggest beliefs is that sorcery doesn't exist. This is a belief. What I say to people who refuse to accept the influence of the occult and occult principles is, you believe that there's such a thing as radical Christianity? And they'll say, yeah, I believe that there's such a thing. I don't believe there's such a thing as occultism and sorcery in the world. Well, if a radical Christian group suddenly went and fired in the vicinity of an abortion clinic, and you got hit by the gunfire because you happened to be going to the, the bank or the restaurant next door to that clinic, did you need to believe in their ideology to be affected by that event? Absolutely not. Other people have an ideology, and they're acting on it. They're acting on it. Whether you believe that that exists or not, or whether it has effect on you or not, is irrelevant. It does exist, and it can affect your life. So the refusal to even believe that these forces exist is very prevalent, and that itself is ego. So that's going to wrap it up for the first hour tonight. Um, the website is whatonearthishappening.com. The network is revolutionbroadcasting.com live here on Tuesday night from 8 to 10. 
For those listening on my website, stay tuned for hour two. Take care, everyone. Be back in a moment. Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. Got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. Welcome. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening. This show will discuss the topics of human consciousness, mind control, natural law, the occult, and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of Earth. What on Earth is Happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Freedom is waiting for you all to find. I'm your host, Mark Passio. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Revolution Broadcasting Network. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. Check it out. Lots of info up there. Lots of videos up there for playback and download. A new podcast section uh, with uh, pictures, with uh, uh, visual feedback that you could follow along with to... uh, uh, take a look at some of the concepts that I discuss on this show. So, uh, this is the second hour of the show, and uh, we're going to get back into the topic that we left off on on the first hour, which was uh, pretty much wrapping up the, the notions of, of magic and sorcery and how they go to work in the world, how they influence us. And uh, I was talking about the fact that many people don't even believe that this is what is really taking place, that there is occulted knowledge that is being used against the people of this world. And uh, we're, we're going to look at some of the barriers that prevent people from realizing how these things work and from realizing their true potential what I call barriers to self-realization. So we'll do that after the event announcement, which, again, I had talked about on the last hour. I'm going to repeat this on every hour of this program until the event because it's critical. Um, The control of energy is the control of people. I'll say that again. The control of energy is the control of people, period. Okay? For people that still do not understand how involved, how completely connected the energy paradigm that 
the financial elite used to control the people of this world, how that's connected with issues of our fundamental rights and freedoms. They don't have the total picture. And someone that I think people who are listening to this show and, and this network and are concerned with issues that affect freedom in the modern day, someone they really need to research and understand what he tried to do for humanity is Nikola Tesla. So there's an event coming up in Philadelphia. It's a three-day conference in July. Here's the press release. Philadelphia, PA, July 9th, 10th, and 11th. The Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebrations. The Tesla Science Foundation brings together scientists, inventors, and enthusiasts for a three-day conference highlighting the need for a new energy paradigm. This July in Philadelphia, the Tesla Science Foundation will be hosting a three-day conference and celebration to commemorate Nikola Tesla's legacy and world vision. Tesla was a brilliant inventor who lived during the turn of the 20th century. His innovations resulted in the implementation of alternating current, the AC motor, wireless technology, and many other influential inventions that we now take for granted in the modern age. Tesla's vision to bring clean, free energy to the world through advanced wireless technologies was blocked by the financial and corporate interests of his time. Through this event, the Tesla Science Foundation will bring together like-minded scientists, inventors, and enthusiasts who share the common goal of bringing Tesla's advanced energy technologies to fruition for the betterment of humanity. The schedule of events, July 9th, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., is going to be the Tesla birthday bash on the lawn outside of the Independence Visitor Center just across from Independence Mall in Philadelphia. That's at 6th and Market Streets. July 10th, it's a, a whole bunch of events on the 10th. It's a, a, an area of, of involvement for every level of interest. So from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the Independence Visitor Center, again, 6th and Market Streets, there's going to be exhibits, information, vendors, music, uh, displays. So for the general public, tourists that may be in the area on that day, they can check out all of the activities going on on the lawn at the Independence Visitor Center. July 10th, 8, uh, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., presentations and lectures at the Free Library of Philadelphia, 1901 Vine Street, 19th and Vine. These are presentations that are going to be geared toward the layman, toward the non-scientist. Okay? The, ge the general public is welcome at these lectures and presentations. Uh, they're going to all be geared toward Tesla, his, his um, technologies, his, his vision. And uh, there will be some overlap with you know, uh, related technologies and, and energy systems. So it should be an interesting day. I have been offered... Um, and have accepted 
to MC this event at the free library. So I will actually be introducing all of the speakers and presenters, and it's an honor to do so because the Tesla Science Foundation and the associated Nikola Tesla Inventors Club is, uh, are just great groups of people, and what they're trying to do uh, is the right thing. So July 10th, again, Saturday, July 10th, from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m., there is a dinner and concert. It's going to be a classical music concert with uh, an ensemble whose conductor plays the theremin instrument. And I encourage everybody to check out the theremin instrument. It's a beautiful instrument. It's a very little-known instrument working on electric electronic principles and, and vibratory principles, and the sounds that it generates are just absolutely magical. So it should be a great time on July 10th from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, the, the, the pricing on that is yet to be determined, but it will be very reasonable. Uh, I, I know that uh, the tickets for that will, will be under $25, probably for both uh, dinner and concert, and uh, I believe if people just want to go to the concert, that option will be made available as well. This is going to be 6 to 10 p.m. Saturday, July 10th at the Arch Street Meeting House at 302 Arch Street in Philadelphia. And the, the final portion of the, uh, of the conference, the Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebrations 2010, is Saturday and Sunday, July 10th and 11th. From 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. is the scientific portion of the conference, the scientific conference. This is going to be at 2 Liberty Place on the 32nd floor, 1601 Chestnut Street in Philadelphia, 16th and Chestnut. And this is going to be geared for scientists and inventors. So they, there will be very technical presentations at this portion of the, uh, of the total event. It's going to be a great event. People are going to learn a lot. A lot of great minds are going to come together for this. Um, a lot of enthusiasts are going to come together for this. I encourage everybody to take a look at it, uh, get involved, come out, invite friends. People need to know about Tesla. They need to know about who he was. They need to understand what is possible. We need to recapture the human imagination and the human spirit of innovation that Tesla so brilliantly embodied during his lifetime. So for emerging details, please see the conference website at www.teslasciencefoundation.org. So that's the, uh, the event announcement. And let's jump right back into the philosophies that we were discussing on the previous hour. Where I left off, in the previous hour was talking about the fact that there are so many people out there that just see, they'll see the problem sometimes in the external manifestation, but to, to address the causal factors, they look the other way. They don't want to go there. They don't want to see that. They don't want to admit or face just how dark of a place humanity has come to. And to do so means that certain 
influences in the world must be acknowledged. And one of them is the concept of the occult, hidden knowledge. It's all the word occult means, hidden. See, there's a, a mind trick with words that is always played on people. It's obfuscation. You tell them that a word means something, but it really doesn't quite mean that. It is one possible connotation, but you dissuade them from looking into that concept further. So if you played a word association game with people, 98% or more people, if you say the word occult, the word that they're going to respond with, just try it with anyone. The word in a word association game that people will respond to when you tell them, when you say, tell me what the first word that pops into your mind is when I say the word occult. The word that they will come back with is evil. Evil. Okay, they'll tell you occult is synonymous with evil. And it can be. But that isn't what the word means. All the word means is hidden. It comes from the Latin verb occultare. And the Latin verb occultare means to hide or to conceal from sight. That's it. And that's all the word occult means. So when you tell people that there is hidden influences at work in the world that I've termed sorcery, that many people have termed sorcery, it is not my term for it, they will immediately reject that notion out of hand because they feel they know it all. They know how the wor world already works. There's nothing out there that could have possibly slipped by them and escape their attention. They're so perceptive. They're so understanding of exactly what's going on in the world around them. There's no way anything like that exists. Because they'll say, I don't believe in that crap. How could it have any, any influence over my life or my existence? This is a fatal, fundamental flaw in people's philosophical makeup in their psyche. They actually believe that for something to have an effect upon them, they have to understand it, know anything about it, or believe in it at all. And that's not true. The idea that ignorance is bliss, that what you don't know about can't hurt you, is utter nonsense. What we don't know about is killing us. Killing us. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is chaos and suffering. And the way I try to illustrate this metaphorically to people is you don't personally ascribe to radical Christian fundamentalist ideology. And the person will be like, they'll, they'll say something to the effect of, no, no, I don't. I don't believe in radical ideologies like that, where I'm trying to impose, you know, a belief system on somebody else, and if they don't want to accept it, I'm willing to, you know, be violent toward them. And I said, well, does that mean that it isn't having some sort of an influence in your life or in the world? See, that's the whole, the same notion. 
People say, I don't believe in the occult. I don't believe in sorcery. I don't believe that has any influence on my life. It doesn't matter what you believe. Other people believe in certain ideologies, and they're willing to act upon them, whether you believe it or even know that it exists or not. Conceive of the situation where somebody may be sitting in a restaurant eating dinner, and they have never heard of radical Christianity. But there may be an abortion clinic next door, and some stray automatic weapons fire may pick them off while they're eating dinner. They knew nothing about that ideology, and it doesn't matter. You can be affected by an act of free will gone awry, gone astray, by people believing in nonsensical notions and being willing to act upon them. That exists. It has an influence over your life. The, better, the way to better prepare against the negative or harmful influences of such dangerous ideologies, such as sorcery, is to learn as much as possible about them. That's the only way you're going to be in a position where you could defend yourself against them. And until we understand how sorcery works in the world, how its methodologies are structured, and how the people that are using these principles and these influences work in the world, we are, we are going to, as a species, as a whole, remain largely powerless to make any changes or to defend ourselves against those influences. So, the definition of both magic and sorcery was the science and art of influencing change to occur in accordance with the will. In the definition for magic, the will has a capital W because it means coming into greater alignment and accordance with natural law principles, with truth. In the definition of sorcery, the word will, the science and art of influencing change to occur in accordance with the will, is lowercase. It means my will, my selfish, egoic will, the will of the sorcerer himself or herself. When we come into alignment with the art of magic, we are attempting to create non-dualism, oneness within, sovereignty, the recognition of sovereignty of all beings, the recognition that natural law exists and that it is, it is operating in our world, and we are bound by it. Only by helping to assist other people to come up to higher levels of consciousness, the art known as alchemy, are we going to get out of the self-inflicted suffering that we are in as a species. If we continue to fall prey to sorcery, or even attempt to use it, we are going to create more and more and more chaos and suffering in the world. Because that's where we're at now. We're at a place where sorcery has run so rampant in the world that we live in that we have a situation of total chaos, almost complete chaos. People think that 
there is order here or that we're going to be moving toward more order if things don't change are delusional. The new world order that we're largely moving toward is going to be one of total control and total chaos. It's not going to resemble anything like order. But there's another new world order that we can build that would be based on true order because it could be based in love, it could be based in self-respect, it could be built with the art of true magic, alchemy, helping people to raise their consciousness to higher levels to understand how higher law works, that there is such a thing as morality, that there is such a thing as truth. And that's what I attempt to do. The alchemist can only be an influence. He can never do the work for another person. He can only do his own work. That's it, period. Can't do it for you. It's been said, one may only show someone else the door, but then that person has to walk through it. That's it. You can only nurture the conditions that surround the seed. You know, plant the seed and then nurture the conditions around it, and then hopefully it will sprout and grow. But in many ways, it looks like people are too attached to what they want to believe, what they've been fed as truth, and that they are so attached to that they just can't break out of that mindset. I want to read a quote that describes that condition because we're going to talk about this a little bit more as we get into the barriers to self-realization, which is the next concept I'm going to bring up on tonight's show. The minister of propaganda during the Nazi Third Reich in Nazi Germany in the 1930s and 40s was Paul Joseph Goebbels. Goebbels was an expert at sorcery. He was an expert in mind control. He was an expert at propagating lies, disinformation, and utter nonsense that could only lead to more and more human suffering. And it did. And he did a great job of it. He was wonderful at his job. One of the best of all time. This is a quote by Goebbels. He said, The essence of propaganda consists in winning people over to an idea so sincerely, so vitally, that in the end, they succumb to it utterly and can never escape from it. I'm going to read that quote again to let it really sink in. This is a statement made by the Minister of Propaganda during the Nazi regime. He said, this is Paul Joseph Goebbels, he said, the essence of propaganda consists in winning people over to an idea 
so sincerely, so vitally, that in the end, they succumb to it utterly and can never escape from it. This is ego identification, which is what we're going, one of the things we're going to be talking about. It's one of the greatest barriers to self-realization, the attachment to being right, the attachment to a belief that you have put your whole heart and mind into accepting as reality. This is the essence of mind control. This is what mind control is. It isn't what it's like. This is what it is. You could substitute the word propaganda in Goebbels' definition or statement with the word mind control because that is the same thing. And this is the force that has, this is the methodology that has people completely owned externally. Most people do not own themselves in the world today. They are wholly owned by minds that are outside of themselves. Other people's propagation of an ideology that is only put out into the world to control their minds, their feelings, and their behaviors. That's it. And for people that don't want to believe that mind control exists, you, you do not understand anything about what's taking place on this planet. The end. You do not get even an iota, even a small, tiny, tiny bit of what's really going on. Mind control exists. It is real. There are methodologies for it. The methodologies are known, well known. The methodologies are practiced. The methodologies are refined. And they are refined sharply. And they're doing one hell of a job on people. They're doing a better job on people in this country than they could have ever dreamed of doing during the Nazi regime, during the Third Reich in Germany in the 30s and 40s. Because they have turned it up not only psychically, they have turned up the heat chemically through food, they have turned up the heat digitally through the media and the devices that most people pay attention to now in their very homes. They have turned it up spiritually through the propagation of ridiculous notions that are propagated in the New Age movement. It's a multifaceted, multi-tiered attack system. And until people wise up to it, things are going to continue to get more and more and more uncomfortable. And people are going to suffer a whole lot more, sadly. But it's a choice. It's a choice. Let that be known. It is a choice whether we suffer or come out of this mess. Okay? 
And the choice lies largely in one concept, in one notion. And that notion is understanding who we really are. It can't be stated any more simply than that. Once we understand enough about us, about ourselves, the true nature of our being, our being, mind control will no longer have any effect upon us. And it will fall away. It will melt away. But as long as we stay attached to all the things that prevent that awakening and that realization of who we really are, the suffering will continue, the mind control will continue, the externally imposed control of all kinds will continue, and it will not relent, not one second, not one instant before we wake up to the realization of who we really are. Let's just look at the word realization. Let's, let's just break down the word. Let's think about the word realization. Real eyes. It means to see with the real eyes. Only when we are seeing with the vision that can help us to accurately perceive reality, accurately perceive that which is, accurately perceive truth. Only when we acquire that vision are we going to be in a place to come out of all of the self-inflicted suffering that we have created for ourselves. And it's doable. It is doable. It is possible the potential for that exists. Whether we will will that into manifestation is another story. I don't think anyone can say with certainty whether we will do that or not. If we do it, we have the potential to create at this time in history a way of being on the earth that has probably never before been seen, that we can scarcely imagine. And this is part of the problem, is that we can scarcely imagine it. The human imagination is suppressed. They want to stifle sorcerers who want to control other people always need to stifle the human imagination. They need to stifle they need to suppress and put a lid on what we are capable of imagining is possible. Because if you can't even imagine the possibilities of what could be, you're always going to be trapped with what is, with the way things are now. And you see here so many people say, that'll never change. I can't, I can't imagine how that could ever change. Well, that's why it's never going to change. Until you can imagine it, you're not going to bring it into manifestation. 
The imagination creates everything. It is the, the, the greatest power of our thoughts. So the suppression and ultimately the, the desire to exterminate the human imagination is what the sorcerer wants to bring about. The, the very definition of mind control is the extermination of the imagination. Because if you can't envision how anything could be different than what it is, you're trapped exactly where you are with no possibility for any real change for the better. It has to be imagined before it can be done. The imagination is the greatest power that we possess. And I would say that to destroy it, to attempt to destroy it, is one of the greatest weapons, one of the greatest methodologies used against the human species by those who seek ever greater control. What I describe as the sorcerers of the world, the sorcerers of consciousness. People who just want their will to be done, don't care who they need to step on to get that done. So, they need to keep us in ignorance of who we really are. And before we even get into all of the qualities that explain who we really are, before we can even look at that aspect of it, let's look at how we're prevented from using our realization why can't we see? Why don't most people already know who we really are, what's taking place within us, what's taking place around us? Why does ignorance abound? Well, I've broken this down, analytically broken it down, to help explain it better through words, into four basic categories that I call the barriers to the realization of the true self. And again, I'm going to bring that notion in to describe the higher self or the idea of who we really are with a capital S as opposed to a lowercase s self, which would be the lower self or the ego-identified self. We're going to look at the things that block this awareness, this knowing of who we are. We're going to look at what blocks the realization of the true self. And I'm going to list them, and after they're listed, we'll take them one at a time. We won't get to them all this week. We'll continue with this next week. But I'll list these, these barriers to self-realization, and then I'll discuss them individually. Before I even do that, I want to give out the call-in number one more time because if there's any callers that want to call in, I, I feel whatever questions you have, you can introduce whatever you want, no taboo topics. The call-in number is 347-884-9417. Once again, that's 347-884-9417. The barriers to the realization of the true self. I present four of them. 
The first is known as the five-sense illusion. The five-sense illusion. And probably that is the only one we will have time to delve into in any depth this evening. And then we'll continue with others. The second is ego identification, which we'll probably get to next week. That's if we even wrap up the first one tonight. So the second is ego identification. The third is the prison of the left brain. The prison of the left brain modality of consciousness. This is something that the educational system in the West does a very good job of keeping people locked in. And the fourth and final barrier to the realization of the true self, which we will discuss here over the next couple of weeks, is institutionalized belief systems and people's attachment to those systems of institutionalized belief. Institutionalized belief systems. So quickly, to list them one more time, the barriers of self-realization, barriers to the, to the realization of the true self, the five-sense illusion, ego identification, the prison of the left brain, and the attachment to institutionalized belief systems. Before we get into the first one here tonight, I see we have a caller. I'm going to take a call now. Here we go. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Hi, Mark. Hey, how are you? Vern. Good. No, it's Vern. Jessica, actually. <laughs> Jessica. Sorry. Jessica, you called in before, right? No, I'm Kevin's wife. Oh. Okay. Oh, um, uh, I just... Kevin, Kevin's wife. Yeah. <laughs> Great, great. Um, I was just I listening to your show. I'm sorry, Kat. I, I knew I recognized your voice. I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but thanks for calling in. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say, like, I've been watching, listening to your show for the whole hour, and uh, I keep on being like, right on, so seriously. And what you're saying about, um, you know, everything manifesting in thought, like, you know, the whole concept of, you know, everything comes from that, that, that idea, a d- decision. It's, it's so absolutely true. Like, um, I've been, I've been on, I guess the, I guess, I guess you'd call the shamanic path. I don't really like to, to, to call it that, but that's mm-hmm. probably the best thing to, I guess. I like that. I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I like describing it like that personally. Um, a shaman has been described as one who can see in the dark. That's one of my yeah. favorite definitions for the shaman. And um, yeah, I just I just like the dogma, but I, I do I what I genuinely got from the experience is that um, I I really I, I agree with that 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 thought the decision. Um, I don't know. Kevin and I had had um, a really interesting experience today of exactly that happening to us where we finally made a decision to make something part of our reality and made the decision which inherently means that you take the first step and the second step and the third step to make that decision, that thought a reality. And I feel like all of a sudden we're on the way to a dream that we thought was a pipe dream earlier today. You know what I mean? Right. 
Well, I think that's magnificent, and uh, I think that's a great path to be on together. Yeah, we're, we actually we've been um, we're looking into the Earthship Philadelphia project, which is amazing. I'm not familiar with that. Um, Earthships are biotexture. They're um, they're basically um, homes that are made out of recycled materials, pretty much completely tires, bottles, cans, etc. Um, and they're completely off the grid. They use water collection. Um, they they do, they take care of their own sewage. They um, do their they use um, you know natural sources for heat. Uh, electricity, they use low energy appliances, and basically these are homes that are that are using the world around them um, to sustain the home itself. So it is completely off the grid sustainable housing. In addition, it has um, place in the home for food production as well, so you can sustain yourself fully off the grid. Very interesting, very interesting. Yeah, and the unfortunate situation is is that the the architecture institution as we know it um, is is gets in the way of this. Um, uh, the the Earthship Philadelphia people are are ready to go. They have the money. Um, they pretty much have worked everything out, but they're experiencing a large amount of red tape coming from license and inspection. Surprise, surprise, um, and a lot of other um, governmental. Institutions. So unfortunately, no, because the reality of the situation is if people can sustain themselves, they're no longer slaves. Right. So um, if anybody's out there and they're listening, they should sign the petition to allow the the city of Philadelphia to be the first urban setting for an earthship. It would be wonderful. Sounds like an interesting project. That sounds like a cool thing to be involved with. And, um, you know, I want to just comment on what you said before about – you know, how you made this decision to go off on this path together. And I just think it, it can be so much more powerful when more minds and more uh, uh, um, aware people come together as a group because it, it, it makes the intention manifest so much more powerfully. And that's what, sure. one, again, that's one of the biggest parts of this is the intent and uh, projecting that intent forward. And that, that is the power of the creative, our creative uh uh, ability, you know, and we, we are co-creators of our experience, of our collective experience, and uh, yeah. I think it's just great that you guys are doing that together and have, have uh, you know, have, have found, you found each other and found people that that want to do that with you. It's it's just a great thing. Yeah, actually, Kevin and I were actually talking about you earlier, saying that how we were wondering how like how Tesla's free energy would work in conjunction with Earthship and the way that they design. Because they use, like, solar panels and wind and, you know, a lot of the typical, when you think of the typical natural sources of energy. But I was thinking, we were thinking, like, I wonder how Tesla coils would work in conjunction with this type of well, design. It could be interesting to talk the about. Te- the, Tesla, the Tesla coil simply illustrates uh, uh, principles that Tesla um, worked with. It, it, it's not that device itself isn't so much a practical device. What Tesla was really experimenting with, uh, particularly when he was out in Colorado Springs, when he had his laboratory out there, was standing waves. He was studying lightning and he was studying standing waves, understanding how natural standing waves work. And he was 
developing a system of wireless uh, collection of energy from the ionosphere. The solar wind places an, an immense amount of electrical uh, energy in our ionosphere. It's charged mm -hmm. particle energy. He was working on a way to essentially uh, tap into that voltage differential between the ionosphere and the ground. Uh, this, this he was doing through the Schulman cavity, which is basically that, 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 that area between the ionosphere and the ground. And he was uh, trying to find a way to bring that energy down to conduct whole regions of the ground. Now, what that would mean is electrical devices would be able to be plugged into the earth. You wouldn't need an infrastructure, and it would be completely wireless. I That's mean, awesome. can you even Im imagine that? And it was possible. He demonstrated this principle in a low-scale effect. He was building Wardenclyffe Tower on, on Shoreham, Long Island, New York, at the turn of the century, to try to begin to implement this on a mass or industrial scale. He estimated, I believe, according to some of his writings, he estimated that approximately 12 of these types of towers would need to be built throughout the world to be able to essentially electrify all the populated regions of the Earth. That's awesome. See, and, and what you said earlier, imagine, well, maybe if we did imagine, maybe right. if we imagined that it happened and, and took the steps, then maybe it would. More, more scientists are starting to rediscover and relook into Tesla's theories and take them seriously, because I mean this guy was beyond an order of brilliance beyond even even another other brilliant inventors of his time and our time. I mean he was truly a prodigy, and it, it, the way his mind worked, he, he truly had a balanced brain. He truly had a connection to that right brain hemisphere where intuition and imagination really uh, flowers and, and comes into full, full potential. And uh, he, he used the left linear procedural brain very effectively, but his, his, his true um, uniqueness came from his uh, ability to tap into that right brain hemisphere and use it in conjunction with science. He, he made that bridge, that, that bridged the gap between science and spirituality or science and imagination. And he really brought those two things together, and that's what it's going to take. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But thank you very much for taking my call. <laughs> Jessica, always a pleasure talking with you. Uh, you, Kevin, and I, and Barb need to hang out again soon. You know, we need to absolutely, keep very soon. More and get together because we, we haven't seen you in a little while. I saw Kevin recently at the end of Fed Rally. It was great. But, um, he had nothing together. but glowing things to say about the end of Fed Rally. It was it was an overall good time. I'd like to see I'd like to see bigger numbers. I'd like to see more people get involved. But overall, I think we reached some people and did good work on that day. So uh, always a pleasure talking to you. Call in again anytime. Okay, great. Thanks. Jessica, take care. Bye bye. Great caller. That was uh, that is the wife of a, a friend of mine, Kevin, and uh, haven't spoken to her in a while. It was great to hear from her. So. We got about 10 minutes, a uh, little over 10 minutes, 12 minutes left on the show. Let's uh, continue. Let's uh, go back to the uh, philosophical topic that we were talking about, the barriers to self-realization. And let's get into the first one, which is 
I would say that I'm definitely not even going to have time to finish explaining on uh, this, this show. We'll probably ride this out till the end of the show unless anyone else calls in, and then we'll just continue this topic uh, next Tuesday. So, the five-sense illusion. This is the idea, and it is a, a left-brain-imbalanced idea. It's the ideology that only, only that which can be perceived with the senses is real or can really be looked at as real, be perceived as real. So only what our sensory perception organs can pick up. That's all reality is comprised of. There's nothing else outside of what we can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. Or what we can perceive with the extensions, with our created extensions of those senses which is what we call our technology. So nothing else is real except what we can perceive with the five senses. And I call this, and it has been called, not just my term for it, it has been called the five sense illusion because people are attached to the idea, and again, you're going to hear that word be brought up with just about every one of these barriers to self-realization when we talk about them. Because it's the attachment to these ideologies that creates all the suffering we experience. And it's the attachment to these ideologies that make us not be able to truly realize who we are. And until we let go of these attachments, we're not really going to make any progress towards solving all of the self-inflicted and seemingly never-ending problems that humanity is currently going through. Everything we call evil, that we experience as evil or negative or bad. So, let's look at matter. People are attached to the notion that matter is completely solid. That because I can't pass my hand through a seemingly solid object, that it is a definitive, solid, hard-formed thing. And that there is actually no potentiality in that thing. People are so attached, and I would even go so far as to use the word ignorant about this notion, that I'll tell a little anecdote that happened to, uh, to my girlfriend, who is a nurse. She's a nurse. She was at the hospital one night. I guess it was uh, you know, a slow night her and a couple of the other nurses were 
kind of talking about this idea about what matter, you know, is. And Barb brought up the notion that matter is made up of atoms, and atoms are always in motion. That if you were to look at, for example, a chair or a desk under high enough magnification, it's not actual microscopes that can see the actual atom. We can, we can come close to perceiving through different colliders and things what the structure of the atom is, but to actually see it in motion small enough, there's no visual technology like that currently. But if you were to, to be able to perceive that, you would see incredible, incredible motion, seemingly chaotic motion, motion that could, can't even be conceived of, the, 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 the speed with which these subatomic particles move and vibrate. And when she tried to explain this to another one of the nurses on the nursing staff, and she said, you know, if you, you actually looked at the molecules and the atoms of something like a chair or a desk, you'd see it's in total motion. I mean, there, it, would be, it would be moving, vibrating, almost chaotically and crazily. And, and the person actually looked at her and said, Barb, you're so crazy. You're so crazy. She had actually not even really heard this notion before, that at the very, very, very small, or the quantum level, matter is in such chaotic motion and flux that we can even scarcely conceive of how fast it is moving, that we perceive of it as still and solid. When we understand more about the structure of matter, we get into more modern interpretations and experimental observations that matter is not solid at all. As a matter of fact, it is only a potential. It is a potential to exist. And only when the decision to observe it is made does it actually form an actual point particle. So if we look at the subatomic particles at a very, very, very low scale, we would see continuous flux or motion or what has been described as pure potential, pure potential energy potentiality, the potential to manifest something. But a mind, a consciousness must become involved to actually create and form that potential into a manifested experience. Now that's a mouthful, but in science this is known as the observer effect. You can look that up. It's called the observer effect. And I'll probably be explaining more about the observer effect next week. But to, to re-illustrate 
some of the ideas of how the five sense illusion keeps people trapped in limited ways of perceiving themselves, their own consciousness, and the world, we can look at, at an example of frequencies. We can look at frequencies of light and sound. We look at the visible spectrum of light, what the eye can actually perceive as far as wavelengths of light energy goes. We can see that our eye can only detect a fraction a minute fraction, as a matter of fact, an infinitesimally small fraction of the totality of wavelength spectrums, the, spe the, the full range of wavelengths that actually exist as far as light energy is concerned. We break that down into what we call the color spectrum. We can see red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, so on, and the shades between those colors, combinations of them, which create all the colors that the eye can perceive. But essentially, it's an extremely, extremely limited frequency range that the eye can pick up. And we don't perceive the infrared wavelengths or the wavelengths that exist below the color red. We don't perceive the ultraviolet wavelengths or the wavelengths that exist above what we call the color violet or purple. Does that mean that those wavelengths or frequencies of light do not exist? Of course not. They exist. They are in creation. They are in manifestation. The eye cannot perceive them. We don't decode those wavelengths with the equipment that we have called the human eye, the biological technology known as the eye. Look at the example of a dog. A dog can hear frequency ranges of hearing that a human being cannot hear. If a dog whistle is blown, no human being is going to respond to that dog whistle because our biological technology, our equipment called the human ear, which receives and decodes those specific frequency ranges that are within human hearing, a dog whistle falls outside of that, that frequency range. So a dog will perceive something that is higher, sound frequencies that are higher that a human ear cannot perceive. We have to get out of the attachment that only that which can be perceived with our sense organs, our biological technologies, is all that exists. It isn't true, and that belief is an attachment that stops us from really understanding the totality of ourselves. So I'm going to leave it there for this show. 
We'll pick up on this next show. I'm Mark Passio, and you've been listening to What on Earth is Happening. See you right back here next Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you and good night, everyone.